Hello and welcome. And today I am joined by Andrew McCauley, who is an SNC coach and physio. Andrew, thank you for joining. How are you doing? Good man. Yeah, looking forward to this. Likewise, likewise. So I had the pleasure of meeting you at Therapy Expo recently, and I'm looking forward to finding out a bit more about your history. Although I did find out quite a little bit last time, but um, it's good to get it on camera or most of it anyway. So whereabouts are you from originally? You've got a relatively distinctive accent. Yeah, um, I'm from the west of Ireland, a place called Sligo. Uh, so northwest, kind of on the on the other side. Um, yeah, that's where I'm originally from, a place called Strand Hill, which is right on the coast. So it's a very beautiful place. Um, and uh, I'm the youngest of seven brothers and sisters. So effectively, I've got three brothers and four sisters. So effectively, I was raised by kind of wolves in some way, which and 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 by saying that as well, it's, it's kind of like I am a, we are a pack as well we all get on really quite well and it, it kind of ties in I suppose to the person I am and how the physio I am now I suppose um, like coming from that we might we might dive into that a little bit in a bit um, but yeah yeah that's that's where I'm from and um, yeah I've, I've big family. So what was it like then growing up in in West Ireland? Yeah well I, I had a great uh, yeah, I could great childhood. I can't can't complain about that. It's I say I live live by the Atlantic Ocean. We've got a mountain behind us, like beautiful scenery. Um, and well, I it was in the it was the eighties. So um, uh, we I just uh, football was uh, all sports really, but football was um, uh, I suppose like uh, in Ireland we call it soccer because we had Gaelic football as well. But uh, football over here, and that was it, and that that consumed me massively. That was all I wanted to ever be and do. Um, so yeah, growing up it was good. Um, although um, interestingly as well, when it comes from a, a, this point of view, is I I, uh, I like primary school. Primary school was good, um, but I absolutely generally hated school. Any after that, didn't like secondary school at all. Didn't like the way you had to learn. Didn't like the structure of it. Absolutely, it seems kind of odd, but I just hated school. And then when I went to uni. Uh, that suited me way better so I don't know what, when I was like it's kind of different to where I was growing up but that, that's kind of funny with the girls that learning about how you learn that was one of the things and I couldn't put my finger on it I was thinking you were going to ask me a question like this and I thought what's the difference and it was it's the same reason what I don't like in physiotherapy as well which is like really stringent rules and hierarchy and you must do this but when you went to uni and I went to England specifically first uh, it was like you can do whatever you want you know, it's, here's the stuff. If you want to do it, you can do it. If you want to fail, you can fail. And I think my first test I did in, in uni for sports science was I failed it. It's a physiology. Because it just, I, I, I was this thing where there was no rules. There was no, you just kind of, there's, there's, here's the material. And I went, again, I just went on the piss for like whatever. And then it was like, oh, there's an exam. I failed it so badly because I had no idea. Like I'd literally done nothing. And then I was like, all right, oh, this is awful. And it sounds obvious, but I just went, right, well, okay, I'll just, I don't want this feeling again. So I'll learn it. And then really enjoyed that style of learning and writing essays and going away and researching. I way prefer that than your traditional exam-based stuff, which was always like, you know, learn this, repeat this. And I just, that's not for me at all, you know. It is interesting because particularly so many people who have had these chats with, and certainly the last two, um, which was Gemma Parry and Uzo, Ekiog, and they both said exactly the same thing. They were all awful in school really didn't go through a conventional way didn't enjoy it i would put myself in that category 
Um, and yeah, you just you don't like that format of this is what you do, exams. And uh, yeah, I do think it's really interesting that a lot of people that have gone on to do really well. It, they actually didn't like that that formal formal time yeah. in school. Because I did three, I ended up doing th- three degrees, like, which is bizarre. Because like it's kind of like coming from the your traditional educational model, and in Ireland it's different as well. You do seven subjects for your equivalent of A levels. It's called the Leaving Cert, and you have to do three of them are languages, and so it's English, which is I know it's not a language a language as such, but it's it you know it's 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 where you know it's dealing with the language Irish and French. You have to have a foreign language to get into uni. So there's three languages, which I you know I'm not good at those things. That's not what I like doing. And then I had to do uh, a science, which is biology. It was the only subject I really liked. And then the others like business and geography. Uh, just It just was none of the subjects I liked. So unless you were that type of, and the world is biased towards certain learning, isn't it? Like it's the, it's the classic average, isn't it? You, you go to a shop and there's loads of mediums. There's very little XXL and very XX, little XXS, but those people exist. And I just think like, the, you know, when it comes to even learning, like I was always told, you know, reading, you know, you, you're just not good at reading because you're not doing it enough. And like half my family are big readers and half my family aren't. And when, what I mean that is we love education, but if I start reading, I just fall asleep, I just get bored, I have to read it again. I'm not dyslexic or anything like that. I can read, but I'm just like, the, it just bores me. I, I really physically cannot stand it. I can read scientific papers because it's kind of short and in little blocks. And I can get away with that and that would be all right. But when it comes to like, you know, absorbing information and people go, oh, yeah, I'm just really waiting to enjoy a book. I used to be like, what? I I wish I could do that until I heard um, audio books or podcasts. So when that came out in the the, the late 2000s, once I I heard them kind of things, I was like, I can, like I used to be around our dinner table because there's a massive amount of family. We used to do impressions all the time. I used to grow up around the, the Harry Enfield era and stuff like that and Steve Coogan and all that kind of crap. Like, so we would always be doing accents and voices and messing and all that kind of stuff. So, and actually, because I could rem- I could do accents, so I had a, quite an audio, love music. Um, so that that was kind of like, now, as soon as I started listening, I just devour audiobooks now, just like, no problem, just check it on and it, it just goes in there. So that that was another thing about education is like, it wasn't like that. And, it, and the norm is if you can rabbit learn and read this and do this, you'll be good at school. And also, I, I just, we talked about a hierarchy or being told what to do. It was very reg- regimental. It was old school teaching, you know, I'm the boss, do what I say. There was like teaching nowadays, I'm sure it's much, much better. Even my kids who are in primary school, you can see the way they teach, it's totally different. And it just wasn't fun at all. Like it's, it was just and not relevant, like even maths and stuff like that. It's just like going, if you'd made this a bit more relevant, we, I would have buzzed here, but you don't and you're telling me like I'm a spoiled little child at 15 years of age and it's like nah I just don't want to listen so I just didn't just played football instead <laughs> well that that is what a load of people do though isn't it because it's like we had to choose between geography and history at third year so at what 14 but it's like my brother did a, de- uh, did a degree in history like my dad was a history teacher they my brother got an A and so he's really into it but it wasn't done in an, an interesting way was it history is amazing um yeah and it's just like that I mean, maybe i don't know maybe maybe you are immature then but i think if it's done right and even like maths you could make maths more interesting um and yeah the books that you read some of them are interesting like animal farm or whatever else you you do yeah 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 no, that, it, it, it's that and that and that's 
it, but it, it, it brings into when, I, as I say, I became a physio. And then when I, so I did, I did sports science. Then, as I said, we, we have something in common, obviously, with you being an outsider and me being in Chester. So, that, so I really enjoyed lots of sports science because I, I, the thing about it is, is in, in Ireland as well. So it, it kind of goes on. I'm kind of going back and forth here. But when you, so you go to school, you do those subjects, very reg, regimental. And then in Ireland, there was only at the time, I think there was only two physio degrees. And they were like five. It's what in Ireland it's five hundred and I was five hundred and thirty or forty points, which is basically five A's and a B. Um, so it's, you know it's it's near medicine. Medicine's like five fifty, and this was five thirty. So it was really not far off. So like a lot of you have to do really well in exams to even get close to that. So lots of Irish people go to to England because the, the points are a bit lower. It's a bit easier. But even still, I wouldn't have gotten near the points you would have needed because I just didn't go to school that much. Um, I got by. I could do it, but it was just it was pathetic. And it was interesting when my um, I have to tip my cap off to my mum because she just knew I had to get out of Ireland at the time. I just needed a big family everyone knew who I was kind of like as a family you know what I mean oh you're that person's brother or, or son or whatever and I was claustrophobic by that I just wanted to get away and and and, and my mom was like she could say it she she could mind read me she she sent me away for like 80 um prospectuses from English universities so that the postman would be like what the fuck was you where are you going like you know and all I do is to be honest was to open up the prospectus and, and just look at nightlife I was just like, right, where am I going to go? And interesting, I ended up in Chester, which is, but it was close to Liverpool and Manchester. So that's kind of, and I, I had the points for it. I like the course. The big so, picture so. of Rosie's. <laughs> Definitely not. What it was, as I could say, it was like half an hour from Cream. I thought, well, that's all right. I could, I could get up the road there. And I couldn't get into, I think it was uh, John Moore's was a bit too many points or something. So I had to, I had to go with Chester. So, um, but like, even then, back then, like the physio was this higher, it was like, right, you must be this. It was very kind of, not, I wouldn't use the word hierarchy, but it was all like, it was very respected and you have to get lots of points. You have to be very intelligent or traditionally intelligent in Bertie Commas. Um, and then, you, you know, you kind of same things when I went from sports science into physio degree. And I, again, I love being a physio. I love doing what I'm doing, but it was there. I hated being a student. Oh my God. That was awful. And it and I, I was trying to put my finger on that because I love the sports science, but physio really pissed me off. And it was like, um, again, it was the same thing. I was 21, 22 going into it. But when you'd go into placements, like some places wouldn't even let us sit with the physios. Literally, you, you know, this is our time. You, you sit over there like a child in, the, in, the, in another place and eat your lunch and then come back and learn from us. And I... I just, I remember just going, I'm 20. Like I was the same age as some of the physios working there. It's, it, whatever about an age thing. I was just like, are you kidding me? It's like, and, and they made us wear this kind of ridiculous, like a Dr. Death, they used to call it, like proper, like sticking out like a sore thumb. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. So would you please listen to me? Like patients had, you had no hope with patients, like, you know. So then we used to do that. I hated it. And I, you just be treated like there's always this hierarchy. And these are the, this is the best. And this is where, uh, you know, where this is the top of the chain, and the same thing goes with orthopedics as well. It's like the consultants at the top, and then we're the poor minions down the bottom. And physios get that; they're nearly like a bit afraid of who's above them, and there's certain hierarchy. I hate all that. So I talk to a surgeon just like I'll talk to anybody else, um, and I just try and break that down in any communication I do. Ever since I've never wanted to talk like there's this kind of class or hierarchy. And um, so yeah, it was interesting when I did physio because I did like it, but I just. I like soon as I became qualified and went to London and started working, I was like, oh, I do like this job. 
but I just, yeah, I remember, I remember telling one of my shooters actually at the time I said, I just hated being a student, but she was massively shocked by, um, by my honesty, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So that, that, that's just, a, it's an interesting thing. I don't know whether other physios feel like that, but it was, I, I really, it's still there. It's still really rife. And there's, uh, and, and a lot of physios there who are really good, um, you know, it will stay under the, under that kind of, you know, I don't know what's the word. Not like they're they're being held down a little bit because they don't want to upset people, or we need to, you know, we do we don't want to we don't want to um, speak out of turn, um, which which kind of comes into communication, which I'm quite quite interested in as well as how we speak to people and what type of the language we use. And as you can see already, I, I do like to swear a bit, but at the right time and the same with humor, at the right time can be can be the the, the unlocking of patience or the unlocking of of learning, if you like. Mm. Was there ever a point that you thought you might quit doing the physio? Yeah, no, no, I'm not. I, I, I couldn't do that. Yeah, I, I think it's because I really loved that. I, I don't know where physio came from. I, I used to, as I say, football was a big thing. My dad brought me on. A, I'd always been interested in the body. It wasn't quite Chris Myers learning all the bones of the body. <laughs> um, he's such a geek. Um, but uh, I did like the body. I kind of liked it in a different way. I liked. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I was 12 or 13, me and my dad went to this sports injury course that physio put on for two days, just learning about injuries and stuff. And I was quite just really fascinated by it. I didn't have any kind of like mad learning. I liked biology, I guess. Um, so it kind of it came from there. So I've always, when I couldn't be, when I knew I wasn't going to be a footballer, I was like, um, when I started, even when I did sports science, I was like, nah, no, I, I definitely want to be involved with kind of helping people. So that, I think that was the key thing, help or sorting people out like you know mentally or physically was it I think that was that's the real drive for me um so I never wanted to quit uh that no definitely not and even when I started working I remember getting my first job in the Royal London that's how I know Chris um and I my first I came in halfway through the rotations which was oncology so it was pretty grim uh placement to start with but I was delighted I had a job so I was, it was fine. And it was a couple of months and you learned the ropes. And it, it was a good place to start because it wasn't too complicated or intense. Um, but I always knew I wanted to do MSK. That was not, it was not, wasn't even a second. And as soon as I applied for physio, it was MSK. There was, there was, and, and this is where like a lot of physios would go, oh, you know, no disrespect to the other professions. Like going, I don't go to a mechanic, no disrespect, but I could never be a mechanic. It's, it, it's literally totally different, you know? Um, so when I went on the war, I, I hated working on wards. I hated the whole idea of ward physio. That doesn't mean I don't think they're do a good job or anything like that. Of course they do. And they love it. I hated it. Couldn't stand it. And some of the best physios or soundest physios, I'd probably say, were actually on that kind of rotation because MSK physios can be quite intense, you know. Um, but what, I always knew I wanted to be MSK. So as soon as I um, could get into that, that's what I wanted to do. And the, once I got once I got my first rotation as in MSK, I was like, yeah, no, I'm definitely doing this. There's no, there's no doubt now. So where did you study physio at? Uh, it's a place called the Royal, Royal College of Surgeons in Dublin. Uh, okay, so I went, right. I, went, I went, yeah, I went back to went back to Ireland for that, which was a it was an excellent course. In fairness, like it was only twenty something on the course. We had our individual in each placement we went to, which is unusual. Only hearing this afterwards, I thought it was normal for courses, but. Uh, we had an individual tutor for us, as well as our own individual physios we worked with. So it was quite, it was very well supported. And um, yeah, no, it was definitely, a, it was a definitely an excellent course from that point of view. And we had, it's a medical school, so we had full um, cadavers. So all our anatomy was learned on cadaver as well. So, and our exams were done on cadavers. So we, you know, 
that was pretty cool. I'd, I'd kind of, it's probably wasted on us. Um, and in some ways I'd love to go back and do stuff like that again. You know, when you're kind of looking at anatomy, it's, it, it, it is really good. But um, yeah, that's, so it was, it was an excellent uni. So yeah. Mm. And then I just went straight to London. Uh, I just wanted to get out of Ireland again. I wanted to get to a big teaching hospital and try and learn as much as possible really. And what was that like moving to London? Class. I love London. Wanted to be, I, that was, I'd been there before I'd worked in London for a summer. So, um, my mum was interested. She was born there to Irish parents um, and then married my dad who's Irish. And so my mum was always, um, she's passed away now, but um, she had an Irish passport and very proud of being Irish, but she was born in Shepherd's Bush. Um, so my uncle lived there. We used to go there as kids, you know, on holidays. And so I knew London. My brother was living there anyway at the time. So it was like, yeah, it's a great city. Love, love it. Not as much as Manchester, but I do love it. It's good. Yeah, well, no, Westfield Shopping Centre, Shepherd's Bush, love it there. <laughs> oh, yeah, so I actually, I lived about, uh, my, yeah, uh, lived about 10 minutes away. I, I did live near there for a while as well, yeah. So, but yeah, London London was straight away, it was good. Uh, the teaching was uh, really, like, the, the where I was, in, in especially in MSK, like, you know, as you say, no, Chris, uh, Dylan Morris, he was there, Peter Malieres was there for a while. They had the university, the Queen Mary there, so the sports medicine department there. So they'd have like Hakan and Fredson did a, uh, he's a, like a famous Swedish science, uh, doctor who did a lot of stuff around tendinopathy. Like just these kind of like world-renowned people and well-published physios were, were, were basically, was like Dylan was, would have looked after my CBD and done in-service training with us. And, and they really drove, um, one thing I would have said about there is like, it was like the competition as well between us. We, there was a lot of good physios there. Like I know a lot of physios who worked in, in the Royal London or in that area of my land. And they're all now doing good stuff. You know, like it, it was every level. You went from band five to band six. That was a, it was competitive. You know, a lot of people would go for the same job and we were all kind of pushing each other to do post-grad stuff. Every, every three or four months, you had to do presentations after you end your rotation and present to the whole team and, you know and that's t standing up in front of people and only then i suppose that's you know, i teach a course now and a lot of, so many people hate talking in front of people and and it was just something i was i was happy to do because i think i got it right from the beginning i was never never built up to be scary for me and and uh, i'll thank the msk team there for that because they, they would make you do stuff you didn't want to do and it was uh and they had great equipment as well they had, like stupid amount of stuff so it was it was it was the best probably area you could you could do because you just had exposure to so much um, and great teachers as well and everyone was motivated. So was it lucky that you just ended up there then, or did you know that this had a good reputation? Yeah. So I wanted it. So what I wanted to do is move to London, and in my last year, have to do um a, a, like a what do you call it? It's like a final placement, but it wasn't marked. You just you could do it anywhere you wanted. So like I was looking into. I was going to go to Chelsea Football Club, I think. <laughs> um, that was just me coughing, by the way. Uh, so I was going to go to Chelsea because we had a connection with Chelsea Football Club. My sister, I can't remember, a friend of ours. And then my next door neighbour from, from Ireland, actually, he had worked in the Royal London. And, and um, when I was trying to get into physio, I'd spoken to him and he was telling me about the Royal London. And he had lived, he was still living there, I think. God, Jesus, this is a long time ago. And he said, um, oh, I'll, I'll get you a rotation there you know i'll speak to them and you can you can do your final rotation there which i ended up doing in in neurosurgery um and i so that was like a four-week rotation or three weeks so i just went over to london and just did that um and then from there so i i'd worked there so i knew what was going on and then i um 
just applied for the job and so I, I just knew it was a really good hospital and it was and I knew the people there so it was it was great it just worked out well that way yeah it is I can't remember if that was the place where Chris said that they were in a department and basically everyone who was in the department is now some of the foremost people in diagnostic ultrasounds was it was that there yeah I would have thought yeah I would have thought that, that Chris was there for a long time yeah I would I would have thought that would be where he was yeah because there was yeah there was a serious quality there you know it was yeah, when you look, we look at the names there that go there. It's yeah, it's impressive. It's Stuart, Stuart Wildman, and um, some of the other people well, in there. So I don't know what I it was. Know, I, I don't know then, but it could be unless it's unless he, I don't know where else Chris worked. Or he got a Hammerton maybe or something. But I, 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 yeah. Anyway, I think I think London anyway is usually, you know, the physios there. You just it's just the competition goes high because there's so many. Um, you're ambitious. You're young usually, and you just want to you want to get you want to get somewhere. So. It breeds, yeah. it breeds that that motivation. Like, not not every not everyone though. <laughs> you still get lazy fuckers, but uh, generally it was it was high quality there, you know. So how long were we there for? Uh, about five years. Um, about yeah, five or six years. I can't remember something like that. And then um, then it was just kind of a good move because I I ended up my, my wife's from Cornwall. That's why I ended up down here. Um, so she we, we I did a year's tra- up and down, and then I moved to Cornwall. I got a job down there just because I wanted to, yeah, we, we decided on Lund- and Cornwall being a place. So, and that was probably in, in hindsight, like anything like this, you know, people, it just happens, you know, it happens the way it is. And because it was less, there's so much less CPD, so much less of that kind of drive. It was definitely more laid back, I suppose, the best way of describing it. So I came with an intensity, <laughs> I came down with an intensity that came across as a little bit, um, at times when people were thinking I was aggressive, um, which I get accused of at times, and um, I am massively passionate, which I think is, uh, and, and I talk like this, so I'm quite, you know, uh, I do love, I, I love to be relaxed and have a laugh, but if if, if I, I want to do it right, so, and I think people were kind of a bit like, what, this is, this is what I'm used to in London, and they were like, what, what are you doing, like, you know, so they, they got, they felt, and then since that worked on that, and tried to develop better communication around you know driving motivation like oh, what are we doing here like well, how are we going to get better that was all i was always interested in how can how can we make the most out of this cpd and i i got in charge of a hip uh, special interest group and you know five or six people would rock up to it i was like this is rubbish like five or six people they're traveling the whole afternoon i went right well let's call it the sports medicine group let's invite loads of people around the county uh let's get better speakers in let's get people properly doing talks and um, there's free places to hold it and I got 60 or 70 people rock up. People were traveling down from Devon, volunteering, out to people, like contacting me for all sorts of people, driving three hours to do this. And we just called it a conference and marketed it different. It was all free. It was all the same thing, but we wanted to get better talks and, and attract. And if you, you know, get a surgeon to come and talk to six physios, he's like, or she's like, really? They never come. They always used to bail. And I was like, well, because you're not feeding anything to them. They're just, if they're chatting to a room of 60, 70 people, it's going to be a bit more attractive, you know. And um, so that's what I was just trying to promote that kind of, you know, you can do things for you for yourself if you really, you know, take these opportunities or just ask questions. So it made me become a little bit step out because I suppose what London did a little bit was there was always somebody who was, I suppose, if you want to say it better or more experienced or was really good. So you had to really, you know, qualified physios who were who were excellent in their field. And you kind of thought you were always like just there, whereas and that's something you need that ability to kind of be able to make mistakes or do stuff and, and not be like told it's the right thing or have to ask somebody I want you want to go out there and, and explore that a little bit and that's what I did and that helped me no end 
that made me really come out, Michelle, learn more, find out how I was going to get my learning now that I wasn't in London. Um, and that, that made me just dig around certain courses and really nail down my CPD. Um, I think that it was a hip surgeon at the time. He's a good friend now. He, he stood up, he, he called a kind of conference between all the physios in the county. And I remember specifically, he just was like, you know, like, what are we going to do about these hips? You know, we need to get, what, what about hip rehabilitation? How are we going to improve it? I remember standing up and at the time I was like, well, we're just not very good at it. We're just, we're not doing it well enough. We don't, you know, the research is poor around it. We're, we're not um, really testing patients hard enough and, you know, we should really be better at this. And that got actually weirdly a really bad response from the physios. A lot of physios didn't like me saying that, but he was absolutely buzzing with it because he was like, right, well, what are we going to do about it? So then he says, come, come and sit with my clinics. So he's like, yeah, no problem. So I rocked up to his clinics most weeks. Um, sat in with him, started chatting to him about it, had my ideas, how we could improve it, then saying how we could improve hip impingement protocols and just started chatting. So this is the advice I always give to any physio who's looking to kind of, you know, how, how am I going to, how am I going to get better? It's like going, you got to get off your arse and you got to kind of create opportunities. You got to go and find things and, and say things that you believe in. And, and, and then you got to work hard at that, you know, and that's what I did with him. And he was like, oh, I went to a conference there and heard this guy talk. It was James Moore. Um, the hip specialist and then I went oh, well, I'm going to go on his course bang and it wasn't oh am I going to get funding for the course and I better apply for the fund I was like no I'm paying for the course I'm, I bought the course and I got money back but I didn't know that so it's like pay the course but this is going to help me get to where I want to be at the time so it's just that like, I didn't know where that might be but I thought well I've got someone who's showing me the ropes I'm interested let's go after this so I did that and then I did James's course and he, you know, he, he opened my eyes into how rehab was, was poor and how to get better at that. So then I went on and, and really studied strength and conditioning. So I became a strength and conditioning coach as well. So that's where I, you know, it kind of led to the next thing. You know, I didn't really have any kind of major dream here. I just wanted to get better and better and better and just try and expand. And it just kind of snowballed from there, really. So the S&C stuff, then, that came directly from speaking with James and seeing what he was doing. Yeah, I, I suppose it was definitely influenced. It was kind of always, I've lifted weights since, you know, resistance training since I was 12 or 13. I've always interested, I was interested in boxing and, and, and strength sports and, and uh, combat sports, stuff like that. I always liked that kind of stuff. Always worked out in the gym. Then I did sports science, which obviously, you know, has the physiology side of things. And there was a big kind of influence on that. But then, yeah, from a, but it was weird. This is why I set up the two-day course because it's kind of like I detached my brain from that and, and, and went into this physio side, which is basically because you're dealing with pain a lot. You kind of are always a bit risk-averse about pushing patients and strength training. Is, and then people are like, well, strength training isn't, um, you know, it's, it's just as good as shockwave or any of the other kind of pain-modifying um, tools you have out there. I'm like going, yeah, but it's not about pain. This is about other things. This is all about performance or function or uh, or even just a person likes strength training so let's get them back doing it so but i used because of the way the rehab world is you, you kind of it, it, it pushing patients um, and using kind of resistance training as a, even a way of modifying pain or people don't do it that much because they're afraid they're going to make it worse or the muscle is going to cause the problem there's this weird i don't know what the word is but it's it's like they're still a bit scared of it not everyone but it, i i see that as a common trend and i i was it was like me and i just thought how can I get better? And I remember in on the course with James and I, it was the first time I ever done this. I recorded it on my mobile phone. I, cause I think it was the, the iPhone could do it at the time. So I recorded like a memo, you know, so I just put it on my table. I didn't take notes because again, I'm, 
like the reading. If I write notes, I can't listen at the same time. So I'm scribbling down what he said and I've missed the next two slides. So I just thought I'll record this and listen to it back later. When I did that, oh geez, it was the best thing I ever did. It was really hard though. Six, it took me about six weeks. I sat with earphones and I typed it all up. And I still have that as a manual. And it's still not much of it is, you know, there's not been majorly huge changes in that. Um, there's little tweaks, but it made me sit down and kind of go on like the intensities and why I'm picking an exercise and what's the benefit is this, what's the target of my exercise? Because in the past, it was just kind of generic. It would just be for, well, pain, strength, everything really. It's just, this is what I give. Um, whereas he made me think about that. And then I thought, well, I need to get better at understanding that system. So I loved reading about strength and conditioning. So I did loads of little local courses. There was a guy called Brendan Chaplin up in Leeds and he'd put on some weekend stuff. And that was working with like top level GB strength and conditioning coaches. So they would, so I was getting exposed to really brilliant coaching and that world of coaching then, because that, that's the thing I can't say, these guys are really good. When I say guys, I mean women as well, obviously. Like they were really um, good at communicating. It was just, they just it was, it was nearly like I preferred those courses than physio courses. Physio courses come with an awful lot of ego. There's it's a kind of weird, creepy feeling in the rooms, and everyone's afraid of making a mistake. Whereas in the in the coaching and in the strength and conditioning stuff, they were all a bit more kind of like all right with that. Everyone was quite comfortable with feeling a bit stupid or not having it right. So. I, I really like that. So I, those kind of things, and I just would read around that. And that just got me into thinking, well, you know what? Lots of people want to come to a physio to get back to performance and improve their sport or get back to sport. And I thought, well, if I'm a strength and conditioning coach and a physio, then I'll be able to kind of say, look, I can not only help you maybe rehab, but I can also maybe help you with performance or use that as in like an, an opportunity from their injury. Look, you don't do strength training or you don't do power training. I'll teach you how to do that and I'll teach you how you can do that here. And I've got the gear. And, uh, and, and so from when they come in from day one in rehab, I've already turned this into, all oh, right, yeah, he's going to teach me other stuff that I'd have to go and get a trainer for. Um, and I was, so it, it helps them mentally uh, kind of hopefully cope with it a little bit more, which is something, again, I, I would, I would do on my course is like, how do you strength training is fine, but how, how do you use it as a tool to help your patient both mentally as well as physically? Um, and, 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 yeah, and that's what I, that's how I ended up then going into my private, my private practice, which is what, what I do now as well, half the, half the week, you know. So for this stuff then, so S&C, is that talked about when you're doing physio? Is that something that's mentioned on the degree or like afterwards? How, how prevalent is it? So the problem is now is, uh, well, I, when I did it, no. It was very minimal, and it was I think it was called the, the the module was something like movement something. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it was really like there was a lot of it was a heavy manual therapy, a heavy electrotherapy modules, and there was like like now I know it's different. I know there's unis changing this, and I know there's loads. Of, so I, I definitely not gonna, but it's still not brilliant. I don't think. Um, I still think there's probably places. You know, I think there's just some excuse me, there's some kind of, what's the word, some clutter to be taken out of some courses. There's, there's definitely, but I know it's hard because speaking to lecturers about this, they're kind of going, well, what would you do? And, and some of them teach certain things and it's on a curriculum and it's embedded and it's very difficult sometimes for them to change. So I do appreciate it's hard, but like the, the whole side of like coaching, not necessarily strength and condition, but just coaching communication. I think that's hopefully getting better, but that definitely needs to be better than it was when I was there. Uh, and then, and then this strength and, and just being able to use good basic principles of rehab. And I remember having a chat with on another podcast 
well, a debate, if you like. And I remember this particular physio was kind of saying, well, that's just our bread and butter. We, we do that. Now, he was from, he's from Canada, so I don't know if they do it differently there. But I was like going, it's not what I experience. And it's not what I experience day to day working in departments, but also working with physios when I'm teaching them on the course. They don't know the principles. They don't even, they may have, they, when you say they might go, oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. But they're not applying it. Even progressive overload where you're just making it harder each time. Not that's one of the worst things they, you know, one of the not worst. It's one of the things they don't do that much. So just it's often with physios will set an exercise, it's improving, and they just get people to continue, or they don't apply the principles of overload or or uh, variability or anything like that to it. They just say, "Oh yeah, carry on," and that might be fine for someone's pain. So it might they might be like, "Yeah, I'm out of pain, happy days." But if it's got to do with something else, like um, a biomotor thing or a functional movement or a return to sport or a return to a job that requires a certain activity and you've not tested them and you've really not put the, their body under that stress, then I suppose in some ways we don't know, but that's going to probably put them more at risk. Um, and, and, and that's something that, you know, we need to really assess better, which is uh, so when, when you need to assess stress, strength, sorry, you need to do it well. And that's the other thing. We don't do that well enough. And when it's important, it's very important. And, and I also, you don't have to assess everybody for strength, but the ones you do, it really makes a difference to how you prescribe and then how you can feedback to patients when they come back to you next time. You know? So it, it, it's, it's a bit like imaging. You don't image everyone, but when you have to image somebody for the right reason, it's, it, it really helps how you manage them. And I'd say the same thing for strength assessment. I don't know if that's kind of gone off on a tangent, but hopefully. No, 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 no. It's interesting. No, it is interesting because again, it's from the discussions that we we've had previously. Then, yeah, it does seem to be the case, and that's why is is that where the formulation of your course came from? Then. Yeah, yeah, purely. I, I well, it was weird. Is the story behind that is like I went to set up a private practice, and I did a lot of business, you know, like free funded government. I had to set up a private practice which is the best thing I'd recommend anyone to do. I think a lot of physios set up private practice without understanding business first and marketing. They think people will come to you. Um, so, it, you know, I, by putting a lot of spiel on your website. And so I went there anyway, and it turns out a part of that course was um, I had to do a five minute elevator pitch or whatever to, to two people to get some funding, which is going to supply, which is going to fund my website. And the guy on the, the guy on the board, um, is a three down martial artist. And when I was pitching it, he's like, basically, I'm, I'm, I, I love this. Like when my pitch was basically, I want, I want the angle was uh, athletic performance and physio. It was, it wasn't just physiotherapy. My old goal was to target people who wanted um, athletic goals or fat loss goals. And I was, that's what we were going to target. But yes, you have an injury, but we're getting there instead. That's the idea is to kind of use that. I'm going to make you a, a better athlete or, get to your goal faster this is in the way and I'll help you with that and he was like right well he ended up coming to see me and then he was saying like he was telling me about the training they do and he was like going, oh, are we doing this right and I said well look there's probably more efficient ways to get what you what you're looking for here they just often they just come in and just rag them you know as many presses as you can as many sit-ups as you can run up and down very old school traditional martial arts stuff and I was saying, well, look, if you're trying to develop power or speed, like this is maybe what you'd want to do. And he was like, oh, that sounds brilliant. Why don't you teach the club? And I just went, he said, would you come and we'll, we'll pay you and do a day of learning? And I was like, yeah, Stan. So I, I de developed a, a thing. We recorded it like a day presentation and went through training. And then kind of was weird. Like a month later, someone in our department, 
another department rang up and said, oh, you know, do you know any SEC coaches who do a course for us? And I was like, I just went, well, I'll do it. And she was like, okay, cool. And then I didn't charge very much and just sat down and kind of redesigned it for physios. And then it was a one day and then I kind of, I did that for a while. And then the one day just got longer and longer. And I thought, right, I can't do from eight till six. So then I went two days and broke it down into, it's, it's kind of really kind of ex- expanded from what I originally thought I was doing to now kind of like behavior change, communication and using this uh, strength and conditioning to incorporate it into being a better physio as opposed to trying to be a strength and conditioning coach or trying to just, I think it's always people see strength and conditioning and go sport when actually it's uh, my course is about saying this is for you know, Fred and Etna, who are 80 with knee replacements, it's applying the same principles and testing them and using them to create their life in a better way. And actually here's some of the evidence behind that, uh, as well as 10 year olds or whatever age or whatever athletic ability you have. And then, and then how do we use the psychology um, to be able to get people? Because adherence is one of our biggest problems or commitment. You know, patients will say all this stuff, but actually committing to it is really difficult. And that's one of the, if you look at the research, it's really poor, especially after six weeks. And a lot of things like return to sport are a lot longer than six weeks. So I'm trying to say, how do we get people to really commit to the thing so that they get what they want? So the psychology of that was, was, is really interesting me. And I, and I, in the course is like when we do practical stuff people will go okay so why are you giving five reps and i'll be like it's not about just the physiology of the reps it's also about the the psychology of the person that you're finding it so i might give you five reps but the next patient 10 reps and here's my exercise reasoning for that and it's not just because the evidence says five reps is the best thing for strength it might be actually look i'm after quality here and actually that person doesn't like five hard reps. They prefer 10 reps because the first few gives them confidence and then they finish off the last few reps because some people like bigger rep ranges or smaller rep ranges. So it's just knowing these kind of things that the psychology builds in your exercise prescription, if you like, as opposed to just like, here's what the science says, uh, right here, this is what you need to do. And it's very black and white and patients, you know, as we know, are not like that. And, and that's my whole ethos is how do we communicate better um, so that they get what they want, really. So, and then in terms of the 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 engagement and the demand for for this course, then, so what do, do you see? Is it a growing market? Do you see there's a lot of interest in 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 this? Yeah, yeah. Well, like I've I've been flat out for about eight years with it. Now, you know, this year I was I did nearly one a month, and in some like I, yeah, the quiet months are August. Obviously, no one wants to do a course in August, and um. Uh, so, but generally, like I did two or three in October. Uh, so the, the, there's definitely a thirst for that. And and uh, it's not just physios either, chiros. I've had osteopaths. I've had strength and conditioning coaches on there and um, a couple on there. And it's because it's it suits them as well, because it's not actually all about the strength and conditioning. It's about dealing, if they're dealing with rehab or communication. And it's, it's it, I suppose it's a coaching course. And that's what I'm more and more interested in, in doing and, and reading about whether it's for fun or not like that's the kind of books I like reading and it's um yeah it's kind of lost me lost me train of thought there really but it's kind of yeah it's it's kind of grown out of of this kind of people really confusing what strength and conditioning is and and they'll they'll there's some other great courses out there as well I must uh, must say that but there's no one really kind of those courses that will will be really good for certain things, but again they can't comment on it from a physio point of view because they're not a physio. 
And that's where I, I wanted to kind of go as I've done those courses, I went on and, and they're brilliant. But if you're not a, if you're not into it, it can be quite hard to, how do I apply that to me as a physio with a 60 year old who's just got lateral hip pain and doesn't want to exercise? Like, how do you apply that principle? I said, from, from what I do is like, you can, here's the principle you would use though, or here's the reason why you would use just this. Whereas if you go on, say, well, my, the courses I went on, it would be like, all right, this is how you develop muscle strength. This is how you do this. And it's like, yeah, but how am I going to do that with that patient? That would be the question. And, though, and, and so, that, so that is always going to be a question for physios. And at the moment, um, yeah, people, people when, they, uh, when they sign up to it, are, are thirsty for it at the moment. Who knows? Next year it might fall out, <laughs> fall out the window. But at the moment, it's popular. And um, I, popular is a crap word. It, it, people like it. And, and that's the other thing. A guy, I've always tried to... Um, like, I remember watching Louis Gifford. He's, I don't know if you know who Louis Gifford is, but he, most physios listening would know who he is. He's very famous for writing his stuff on pain, written some great books. And he actually is from, well, he lived, yeah, he's from Cornwall, I think. Unfortunately, he passed away in his 50s, not too long ago. But when I came to Cornwall first, he did a talk and uh, he did a talk here for our NHS staff. And it was a, it was a Noel Gallagher Stone Roses moment, which was basically I, I, medical talks and I don't really care who I offend here, are boring. They're generally very same structure. They've never really probably, they've, you know, they've probably seen TED Talks, but they don't see why TED Talks work. And then they've just done the opposite of that. You know what I mean? And if, have you ever, like, when you go to my mate who, who works for a big um, brand and he talks about their presentations and it's like, wow, you're like, that's a presentation. You come away going, they know how to do it well. They know sitting there with stats and, and evidence and loads of that, it's people, no matter how good it is, after five minutes, you're just like, oh my God, you're gonna, you're gonna kill me here. And you, you'll try your best for the first hour, you'll smash about 50 coffees, but effectively for two days, you're just trying to entertain people and you're trying to make a couple of things stick with them. And, and so that they go away and they're actually motivated, not just like, well, that was just a bit like, oh, whatever, right? There's loads of information there. What am I going to do with it? Because I just think I've been there where I've done these courses and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, great. And then on the Monday, I'm just a bit like, feel a bit flat, really. Don't know what I want. Whereas I, when, I, when I saw Louis Gifford talk that time, and obviously he was world famous, but he came in and he was just super casual. He swore, which again, it's not for everyone, but I was pissing myself laughing. And he was just, he was just like, and everyone was, because he who he was, he kind of got away with it to a degree. From that, but whether you get away with it or not, um, but he just—I was like going the Noel Gallagher Stone Roses moment is when Noel Gallagher saw Stone Roses. He was like, "I can, I can basically do this. If it, this is cool, like these guys are good, and I, I want, I want to do that." And and when I went away, I went, I'd love to do presentations like that, like something that makes me laugh, something that I go away with, and kind of. So I try and apply that to the course as well, just that people have fun for the two days. Like it's not a laugh a minute. I'm not a comedian, but I, I do try and. I'm a bit of a comedian, and I can see, I can see, I can see, I can see along here, like yeah, you're kidding yeah, okay, no one, you're not yeah. kidding anyone. <laughs> <laughs> but now uh, you're just, you're just trying to induce my personality in that, which is to have a bit of a laugh and and be a little bit, um, bit like that, you know. So I don't know How why do you do that though, because it's that that is always it. Because sometimes I'm talking, I'm like, fucking hell, I'm boring. God, this is boring. Like this is, and it's like I don't think I'm a boring person, but sometimes I'm like. Yeah. I can just, you're kind of looking at the audience and you're just like, are they just like, are they really bored here? I don't know. Yeah. It all, like that, well, that's the thing, isn't it? That's the, that's the worry is the fear of people, um, 
you got. I, I think it comes back to what I said at the very beginning. Like I come from a very safe family. You know, there I've I've got seven. You know, well nine, including my mom and dad, like, behind me. I've always. I think it's where confidence comes from. You know, if you're from it, you you're not afraid to fail because worst case scenario, I've got my wife, and my kids, and my and my brothers and sisters who who do anything for me. And I know that for a fact. So it's just like, well, if that's the case, well, that's that's not the worst we're in the world. If I flat fall flat on my face, I have that. If I don't have that, that makes me feel that well, that that would be, you know, you have to be a different type of person. I think. I think fair play. I think really fair play. You must be driven by something else. But so I, I'm quite confident. I've always, you know, from that point of view, is like I always usually start to talk with that. Like people won't like you. That's a fact. You know. So you gotta have to go out and women. And people also don't like vanilla. And all of this comes from psychology books and self help and. And, you know, really in, interested in what makes a good presentation. I certainly, a million miles off a, a good presentation, I always tweaking and always thinking, oh, that could be better. But you've got to go up there and thinking, well, like one in five people don't like you already. That's just the social statistic. And you've just got to get over that and then just go with what, I'll always say it, the same with physics. You've got to just trust what I'm authentic to myself. I like this. I think this is funny. Some people mightn't, but I don't give a fuck. And I'm just going to go with it. And like, if if two people out of the twenty are like, this is the best course I've ever done, I'm I'm signed with that. I think that's brilliant. I, I don't care. And if the other eighteen are well, he swore too much, or I didn't really like that slide, or he didn't say this, and I'm like going, I, I'm open from the beginning. I said, if you're here for two days, you might as well get something out of it. Don't sit there for two days being bitter about about me. Just find something in the course that's going to at least help you. Maybe if you said never do a presentation like mine again, that's helping you. And that's what I do now. If I watch presentations, like I'll rob that. I like that. I really don't like that. I'm really bored here. Why am I bored here? Oh, it's because he's talking like this or she's talking like that or she's done that. And it's really disappointing when you see a presentation like that because you're thinking you've got really you've got a good point here, but you're delivering it in a really poor way. And I think when you say like how how do you do that? It's it's trial and error. But I there's a really good book. The book um I that that helped for presentations was Talk Like Ted. I think it was talk like Ted. Is it's basically um, is an Italian guy's name, or not Italian, but um, it could Italian sounding, um, and it's uh, it, it talks to you about the breakdown, excuse me, of TED talks, and just about what and make may, uh, make it stick. I think is the other one. I think we talked about that as well. I think we spoke about that one. Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. It's just like why do people remember stuff, and like they remember. It's the same way marketing works, isn't it? Like people put out stuff on media to wind people up for them to talk about it and get into arguments. And then everyone's just talking about that person or that thing. Like that's the oldest trick in the book and it works. Every brand, big brand does it. And every now, you know, YouTuber or whatever does the same thing. They'll just, anyone with a big following will usually introduce some sort of discourse and then watch the comments just flow down. And then they get more following because there are people are just talking about the same thing. That's just the, that's just the way it works. So, we know that and no one talks about the boring slides like you, you always I've the amount of times I see people on Instagram they'll put up a picture of them half naked or uh, saying something really controversial and then they'll put up something really like scientific really interesting like the really good stuff no one likes it nothing and then if you're in your own like Adam Eakins did he put up himself in the underpants and he's like five million you know likes on his him in his underpants and he even like was like, what the, what is going on here? We know that some people have attention for certain things and you might have the best message and the best morals, but no one's fucking listening if it's delivered in this really dull way. So how do you find out that? And some of it is a bit like, you're just gonna have to be a bit risky with the guys too. And, and the only way I say it's risky is 
I'm authentic. I do swear all the time. I know when to say it, hopefully in the right time. Sometimes it's not in the right time. But when there's young kids around, I don't, that kind of thing. It's just timing and the same with humor. And I guess I, a lot of the books I read are not just physio books. There's a lot of psychology, a lot of comedians. Um, I love hearing about comedians. I love autobiographies from the point of view of they give you that person's real, you know, you get a full gist of it. You know, like I, I learn an awful lot from autobiographies, not just about interest in them. It's just about them as a person. You're just like, wow, that, that's mad. Like, you know, that, that, that psychology of how they've learned and what they've done. And everyone's that little bit different as well. It's not always the same, you know. So, and then which, I you, which take, are your favourite ones? Which autobiographies? Oh, Jesus, man, that's a good one. Yeah, which one comes to mind? Mike Tyson's one is amazing. And, you know, that, I, um, yeah, Mike Tyson's one is it's long and it, that's amazing. I love Johnny Marr, Johnny Marr from the Smiths. Um, that's a great book, but that's probably not really, yeah, that's, yeah, it's a really good book, but uh, Steve Coogan's one is good. Um, but, yeah, Mike, Mike Tyson, Andre Agassi's one is good. That is good, technology. isn't it? Have you done yeah. um, Shoe Dog, you know, Phil Knight? Oh, the, yeah, I didn't. No, I didn't. I, I, it's, it always flashes up in my audiobook, but I never, I've, I've not gone with it. What's that like? Very good. Yeah, love it. I've actually done that twice. I'd really recommend oh, wow. that one. Yeah, um, I think, yeah. I just think, I just, yeah, there's loads who's like com comedians wise. <laughs> yeah, Steve Coogan, Limmy from Scotland. I love him. He's, yeah, it, it, there's a, there's a quite a lot of comedians. Like, there's a guy in Ireland called Blind Boy. Um, and I'm not want to go into if you look him up. He, so he's um, he's a, he was a musician, and he, I suppose you'd call him a comedian because he is funny. But uh, he's very emotionally intelligent and talks an awful lot about mental health as well. Through, you know, I, I would say it's kind of similar to the when in my course I'm trying to do the same thing, not kind of being really not blasé about mental health, but really kind of bringing it to the fore by talking about it casually. And and you know, he he's quite good. And I, I listen to him talk talk sometimes when I'm just don't want anything too serious and then I come away going Geez, that'd be really useful for certain patients or even myself just finding different ways than just your traditional way of, of learning about psychology or whatever I you know I like picking up things where it's I'm just letting it soak into my head I'm not having to really actively listen or having to make notes or anything but then I'm like oh yeah that's that's made me think about that and and, and that's the whole thing about dealing with people like you know as, as a physio you're just constantly having to try and work on your own personality and the amount of times that I don't think, I don't know, maybe physios do think about it, but you have to prepare yourself like mentally before you see any patient. Like yesterday, I'm getting, I was saying before we came on, you know, coming up to Christmas now, wheels are coming off really, really knackered now, you know, but these patients are, are, are being waiting a while and you're, you know, they're, they're and, so, and as an ESP, like they're sometimes like looking to make life-changing decisions, the surgery potentially and stuff like that. So um, yesterday, I'm just like having to have a chat with myself going, right, I need, I, I need just for this, just for 10 minutes, try and just stay in the moment with these people. Just really stay focused. You can easily just let it slip by. So you're, and you're, you're, all the things like body language, your empathy and everything will just, will not be there if you're not conscious. Yeah, ha I have to kind of nearly say, right, just give it 10 minutes and try. And I always try and be interested in the person's story because you get some people come in, they're anxious, they're, they can be a bit rude or angry depending on their background and that can really piss you off because you're like well i'm here to help you and you're being a bit rude like so i'm often interested i lean into that a bit more now i'm like going right this is oh, i want to know why that i'm interested to know why this person's being rude to me so i'm just going to be i'm going to just ask an open question and let them go and 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 that's helped me an awful lot and i'm interested in getting physios to be more and more conscious of that like 
you're, you know, I, I've had a text message before. Sometimes I see a patient and it's, it's some bad news or it's something that's going to put me off. And instead of kind of just dwelling on that, I kind of think, right, well, in order to take my mind off that, I have to in, in, explore this patient. So you nearly replace that negative feeling with actually the patient's problem. And I kind of end up forgetting about the other thing until after the appointment. So it's kind of worked out well as a mental health, uh, you know, practice because it's, it's a bit like sports psychology. I don't know if you did that at uni as well, but you know, like you come in, what they what they teach is you can't get rid of the negative thoughts. You've got to replace them with positive thoughts, and them negatives will come in. But as long as you keep focusing back on your breathing or whatever, you can you can forget about them or certainly reduce it. And that's what I try and do as a as a physio because. Every patient, particularly in private practice, is a, is, a, is a marketing tool for you. You know, they go away and tell their family. They tell their other people in the club. And I keep saying that on, on the course to physios. Like, if you own a private practice, the better job you do, that's, you know, you can spend all your money on fucking Google ads or whatever. Or, but word of mouth, good quality lo uh, local word of mouth is, will spread like wildfire. And, and, and that's, so you've got to remember that before you go in there and, and and maybe give not give it everything to that patient. I don't know if there's a bit of a rant, but yeah, yeah. No, and so you mentioned about people. We talked about some of the books that you, you like to read. Are there any other other ones that you think have made a difference to the way that you approach things? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the, the three ones I love, um, I, and there's there's quite a few, but these definitely are are the ones. Is the um, my number one is the Willpower Instinct by Kelly McGonigal. See, she's a Stanford University psychologist. She's written a few. I've read a, I've read a few. The Science um, of Compassion. She's done one called Movement. But the Willpower Instinct is definitely just helped me understand why people, you know, what is willpower and then how it's harnessed. And it's it's perfect for commitment behavior and getting people to do. So that was de that's definitely my number one. Uh, second one is the Chim Paradox. Um, and again, all these are audiobooks because I, I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't have read these. Um, uh, so the chimp paradox that's again like anything uh, and that kind of goes hand in hand with thinking fast thinking slow which is a uh, daniel cadman's book and I, I, both are excellent the like the reason i like the chimp is because people relate to it immediately it's a, it's a simple model i don't know have you heard of it or read it yeah steve peters isn't it because the thing is yeah. that what, what you were just talking about before about how, when you got something in your mind if you wake up mm -hmm. at 3 a.m which i do regularly it is like it's never a good thought <laughs> Never yeah. <a> good <laughs> San, yeah it's not santa claus is coming anyway that's for sure and <laughs> um, it's yeah no absolutely he talks about it because steve peters that's the one that always the interview with um chris hoy he's another he, he really impressed me actually in an interview he was quite down to earth guy um but um he was talking about he said to chris hoy what's going to happen what are you going to think uh if because chris hoy was a bit unsure about psychology and stuff he says in an interview and he met with Steve Peters and Peters went, look, we've got the world championships coming up. What happens if the writer, a couple of writers before you breaks the world record or the writer before you breaks the world record, what are you going to do? And, and, and Hoy said, oh, I'm not going to think about it. And he's like going, well, if I say to you, don't think about a pink elephant. It's like, you know, it's kind of impossible not to think about one. It's just there. You can't just not think about it. It's there. And that will create a certain, you know, right now and here and here, here and now, it's not going to be a problem, but, um, he then thought him up. He said, "Well, anytime the next time you feel that you're nervous or you're a bit anxiety, you've got a bit of anxiety uh, between now and your World Championships, just go through your race prep. That's what you're going to do." So Coy said, "He was like, all right, well, he gave it the old classic thing that people do respond to psychology, like, yeah, yeah, right, okay." And patients do this all the time as well. 
And uh, so he, he went home, he said, and he, he saw, I think it was a French writer. Hopefully I've got the story right. He, he went, um, uh, the French writer did a really good time in training. You can see their training times. And Hoy just went, yeah, like it didn't, it didn't make him stress, but he was like, ooh, right. So it made him kind of feel a little bit like that. So he then went, right, well, he went through his two and a half minute race. So what he was to do, what kind of things he had to hit, all that kind of stuff. And he kept doing that. He'd have, a, I think he even said like around with his misses or, you know, something to be a bit stressed at work or, and he'd just, or like uh, in training and he'd go through his race prep. And then at the, the, the world championships, he said three riders before him broke the world record. Then the second guy broke the world record again. And then a third record. So like literally three world records, I think it was. And then Hoy broke the world record. But he was in, as soon as it happened, he just went into, like, like you would do if you go to the gym and you train for three months and then you, and you lift that weight. Your body is used to it now, but you didn't just go in and just lift that weight straight away. And that's the whole idea of that chin paradox. It's just that mental training, being able to just like, how can I deal with this? And no matter how much I've read this and listened to this, it's so hard to practice. It, you know, it, and, and sometimes you're brilliant at it. Like he says, you get really fit and you're thinking, why don't I do this all the fucking time? I remember listening, I, I got the app, you know, Headspace, and would uh, I'd do that for 10 minutes every day. And I was like, oh, I feel brilliant. I should, I'm definitely doing it. Paid for the bloody uh, year membership, never listened to it again. I, I, and you're just like, why do you do this to yourself? It's just mental. That, and so I'm always interested in, and the, the beauty about it is, is you can always go back in the gym and you can always go back in the gym for five minutes. So just go in there and I, I just, like even me talking to you, I find it quite cathartic doing these kind of conversations. And my mom passed away from lung cancer and I mention her in every course I do. It's part of empathy and stuff. And every time it does, it does catch me. Even now it catches me again, but it just, it makes her feel like she's living on. You're not kind of, this is a way of dealing with grief. So every time, you know, it's not easy, but it makes me feel good at the same time that I'm mentioning her, that she's, you know, I mentioned her today again because she was a big part of my life and how I am. So it's just ways of how you manage your mental health. And I just think the Chimp Paradox model just makes it simple and people can always relate to that. You know, why do I do that one time? And then I'm, I'm really like here now in your physio department clinic, I'm really kind of, yeah, I get it. And then Tuesday night, I don't give a shit about nothing. And all I want to do is eat pizza and drink wine and, and you know, or I get really stressed or I can't sleep in the night, you know, because it, 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 it's not there all the time. And that kind of follows on from the willpower. It's like, why have you got willpower one minute? And then another minute, you don't have it. You just think, where, where is that gone? So those two books just open my mind to, you have control over it. And then when, and the more you read the psychology, self-development and autobiographies, you see the same traits in how people manage their mindset. It's that, that's what they're doing. It's nothing else. You know, it's not talent or any of that. You've re I've read all those talent books. Talent isn't everything. Talent code, bounce. There's loads of them all saying the same thing. And then that's the last one I'd recommend is Mindset by Carol Dweck. Mindset, she, right. she's, she's also, yeah, it's just literally Mindset. She's world, like, super famous educational psychologist, Stanford again. Um, and that is, that's a belter for anything. It's you've got, if you, young kids as well as, it's all about developing growth mindset. Uh, she's the one who came up with fixed and growth mindset model. Um, it's also inspired loads of other psychologists and other books off that. Um, but that one, that, that is another, another belter. All those three, really, if you get your head right, you can really help patients, but also to be able to help patients, I think you've got to help yourself. You've got to be able to become tools to be able to deal with stresses of how you work and, 
and then rejection or people not liking your stuff or bombing at a conference when no one really laughed at any of the jokes you put up and you know and you just gotta you just gotta find ways of how to manage that and those three definitely they're, they're game changers there yeah no i'll check those ones out i mean it is interesting isn't it with mindset you like you say you can i have literally it can change within a day i'm like oh god this is amazing then it's like <laughs> what am i doing why am i doing this so it's yeah, yeah it is funny and it's a I don't think there's any anyway. This is a slightly controversial book. Well, it is now, but the time I well, even then it was. So it's called Think Big and Kick Ass in Business and Life. Who do oh, you yeah. think who do you think might have um who do you think might have written that? Think ass and what was it? Think, kick ass. Think big and kick ass. Very oh, famous that, American. Uh, yeah, it was that Tony Robbins. He's a bit more or less than that. Um a little bit less popular than him. Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. But honestly, I, I like I think it was yeah, written like, in about 05. It's absolutely brilliant in terms of like resilience, momentum, uh, yeah. mindset. And like if, if I was having like and I've used it for a while now, a couple of other people who run businesses, and it's like there's some stinking stuff. Like one of the chapters is called um I love you, sign this about prenups. Plus <laughs> But there's, there's some really good stuff that's like, actually, yeah. that really resonates. And it's good about resilience. So, you know, it yeah, he's gone down on my estimations over the last few years. But it, the, the but book's like, great. That's how he got to, that's how he became the president. Like, like it doesn't, it doesn't surprise, like, success is whatever you want to think someone's a bellend or not. You know, there's so many people like that in, in every walks of life, whether they're him or not. Like, we all have them. You know, you thinking, What? And, and stuff, you know, these people who go on TV programs and live reality lives and, you know, do all that. And I'm like, going, what is that existence? But it's like, going, that's for them and that's what they like doing. And they could, you know, happy days. That's grand. Uh, so he the other day, well, he, he did that thing. He, we were talking about it earlier on about creating discourse between the left and right or good and bad or moral and less moral or whatever. He does that. He's, he's the king of that. He put out like that absolutely awful video of selling his, you know, his business um, NFTs. You see that? It's absolutely awful. He's not even, re- he's obviously read it for the first time when he's done it. And it's like, you know, it's the, the first prize is a dinner with me. Not that that's amazing, but it's a prize. It's all we've got. You know, he's not even selling it too much. And the cards are ridiculous. He's beaming lights out of his eyes. He's sitting on an elephant. Like it's fucking, it's, it's like comically bad. Uh, and they're $99. I can't believe they're so cheap because they're going to be gone and they're so rare. And he's just creating this nearly like caricature. It's just, bizarre no one in their right mind would do it for 99 4.5 million he made from that one day bosh they sold out now people you can imagine who were like going oh they're all his followers i'm like going no nah, there's probably people there going oh these will be worth something this will be you know they'll be working it out and he's just going i've read that when i after i got off the toilet because i know well no matter what he says everyone's going to be that was spread across all it was viral his absolutely comical and he doesn't mind being a clown because no. just, that's, he doesn't care no more and if you and that that's that's interesting when i read about this kind of is a uh, psychopathy if you've ever read books on psychopathy there's a book by ken dutton called the science of i think it's the science of psychopathy i can't remember the name of it that it, it, there's a psychopathy scale and you can fill it out you can do the questionnaire you get you never do the questionnaire with anyone you love, by the way. <laughs> There's a couple of random questions in there. And so you, you have to do this privately yourself. And you have to be very honest with it because um, he, he's done a lot of research on, on different professions. 
I won't mention certain professions on here because it could get me in trouble, but it, it, it mentions it in the book. One of them, which is nothing to do with medicine, but there is a medical one on there. Some, some uh, form of medical professionals score quite high on the psychopathy scale, which just means they're not psychopaths as such. They're not going to kill people, the traditional idea of killing. But a lot of people who are successful, I'm sure and people know this, is that they score, they're quite psychopathic or so, you know, sociopaths or they very kind of selfish, I suppose, is one word. You can look at it. It's not every. It's, if they make choices for themselves and that's where they get to, you know, again, you can't really argue with that in a way. And if that's, if that's what they want to do, but um, there's, yeah, the, the, one of them that scored high was priests. Right. And, and, and it was like, well, he, he, he said, he spoke to, he interviewed one and he said, I think that must have been Catholic priest. Cause I can't see the benefit of being a Catholic priest, but Protestant priest, at least you can, you can, you have a house, you get, you get a parochial house, you get, uh, you can have kids and family and you get a car and it's a job. And this, this priest said to him, and this could be controversial if people are religious, but this preacher said, well, I don't really believe in God. I'm just really good at it. This is what he said to this in, in this private interview. It's all, it's all, um, what you call it, you know, confidential. And this is what he was saying. And I was like, going, yeah, I get that. Like just goes up, tell stories, you know, at the weekend, get a car and I get a house and I just have a normal family. And this is, and I like to maybe he might like, like live in a clean life or whatever. And, be quite moral in his life and that, that's all he wanted to do. So it's kind of funny with this, you know, people's impressions of what's good or bad, but down the line, down, it's the same with religions. They all have quite similar principles, like don't be a prick, be nice to people, look after people, you know, don't rob people, <laughs> don't kill them. Yeah. You know, you, you look at that, you know, across the board, they're generally the rules of religion, you know what I mean? Be, be sound, don't be a dick. Um, and then, and if you, if you do that, and if the same with being successful, if you do that, if you're consistent, if you show up there, there's going to be very similar, similar principles to any kind of book that along those lines, you know, whether you're a dick or not, is it another matter? <laughs> so what qualities do you look, say, say if you're recruiting someone or when yeah. you're interviewing, what, what do you look for? What do you, in an interview, like what are the things that you're picking up yeah. on? That's a good question now, because you know what? That's a really hard one for the NHS because the NHS is points based. It's awful. And I don't like it at all because they have that. You have to answer questions. A lot of the questions, often the ones that we have to ask are very medical. You know, it's like, here's the question and it's either this is the pathology and this is what you do or this is the action you take. Some of them are a little bit more open, but generally you have to kind of mark them for so many points that they've got. So it takes away, well, like I, and I heard this about 10 years ago on a podcast, a private physio on a podcast said he doesn't, he, he's really interested because, because in private practice, you don't like, for example, like you recruiting would be much better because you don't, you don't, you just going to find out this person's going to work well with this team. So I, I would always like, this guy said, you know, if you come from a family business as well, which I, I actually do as well, it was interesting. He said, people, he said, couple of things is if they if they come from a family business talk about like what you asked me where do I come from what 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 gets them going he says a lot of people like that will have that kind of inherent kind of like uh, I was working with my dad since the age of 10 you know I like to go and do jobs we was contract cleaner so we would always work and I have that kind of early drive in me and I don't know if it's because of that or or not but you just have that I don't know where you come from and I've heard that before from other people who have self-employed parents um, so I think that's a nice little clue to just see that you know, people have to, they know the value of money. You know, it just doesn't rock, you know, your parents who've got like jobs, they, you know, who've got, like employed jobs, there's no kind of like getting up at five in the morning and grab, like they go between nine and five and then 
it's there. Or like I saw my mum and dad, you know, doing the, the accounts and having to go and get gear and getting up at half five in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, coming back and I then going on a Sunday. Like it was, you could blatantly see there was a business being run or how things would have to be changed around. And that would make you see the value of money a little bit, I guess. I don't know if this is a great point, but it, it, I, I just think that little clues like that. But even if they didn't have that, what I'm big into personality, just kind of like what are they into outside of work? You know, what, are, what, what, what kind of music are you interested in? And I, look, if they say like Lionel Richie, I'm not going to massively, you know, ups, you know, get upset. But if they say something like take that and all that, I'd be interested in why they like that and where they come from. That Just what as them as a person, it's a bit, it's no uh, sports they like. I just want to connect with them, just like I actually want to do with a patient. I've always want to explore them and then find out a little bit more then because technical stuff, you know, like even being a physio to a degree, like if they've got to the degree, you can kind of teach that stuff later. You can't teach being a sound person. I don't think you can teach that. If someone's just a bit of a dick, you can't you can't undo that. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, if they're no, like, if they, if they don't know how to assess a shoulder, you can say, oh, "Look, you need to go on a shoulder course, or here's some shoulder training." You know, it's it's technical. You can learn that. But if if I see if, if I see somebody who's who's shown ingenuity, once you know, he's kind of like. Um, no, I think like you mentioned, I won't mention who it is, but you were saying you you got somebody in to 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 work with you guys, but they were they volunteered, they wanted to be there, and then you took them on. You know, what I mean, that was a, that's a, that's a, you know someone who's like, I'm going to show you, I can I can do this. That kind of stuff is, I think that's gold dust. You know, that kind no, of no, get up definitely. off your arse, show, showing showing. If I could interview that, that's what I'd be looking for. What what, what have you done to try and really push it? Where's what's your plan? Not necessarily like what's your dream or anything, but like. How would you see, how, how are you going to say you're going to get better at doing what you're doing? You know, I'd be interested to know what, what kind of strategies you have around that. Because so many people, when I've asked that, see, you know, what, what's your CBD plan for the year? It's just like, mm, well, and, and it's interesting. They just say random stuff. They've no real idea where they, where they kind of want to be. And I, I'm not looking for five years or a millionaire or anything. I'm just looking for, what, what are you doing right now? Because if you're not doing anything right now, in this next few weeks or months to kind of get, I, I can tell you now exactly what I'm doing for my health, physical and uh, mental uh, work and private work. I've got a list every single day, three things get done always. And that's just, so if anyone asks, because it, again, it just, those little things day by day, if you look at goal research, you just start moving closer and closer. And then random stuff like I meet you at Therapy Expo. Like that again was a massive random chance. But again, I've done stuff in the day Little little things that ended up me meeting you. That that, that, that opening slides. Well, that that probably helped. That probably helped. <laughs> but it was like, but that opening slide was the biggest talking point for a lot of people and other people that we know who introduced me to you. And um, you know, all of that was kind of that wasn't things had to be done in that day. Those little you know pressures are like right. I'm, you know you know I must make an effort here. Just do this, spend some time with these people, have a good conversation here, and, and then enjoy that. And really, it's not, you know, living in the now, but it is living in the now. Each conversation, it's not like, what can I get out of this? Because everyone I spoke to there, I really had a genuinely good conversation. I, I was lucky when I went to that expo because I really met some really sound, and people were all interested in moving towards a common goal. It wasn't like, what can I get from you? It was more like, geez, you, we're saying the same stuff here. How could how could we work together more? I, like that that kind of... That, that kind of relationships is why I'm really interested, but that only comes from little bits. And I just don't think people do those little bits. You know, just that little thing. Well, today I'm going to, I've done a few things today. I know I'm like going, 
I can imagine just not doing that now. And that's just, and it's a small little thing, but that little thing could just have done that little thing. So I'm always in that. We were talking about it before we started, isn't it? You don't really switch off, do you? You know, we, you know, we, we're saying about Christmas being a good time because you maybe the phone calls are less. But I'll be still thinking of stuff. I'm in the shower and I'm like, oh, I've put on my phone, got little folders and notes. They're just little things of that would be interesting in a talk. Or maybe I could say that, or maybe I'll I'll do this, or maybe I'll conversate. And, and sometimes that doesn't happen. But a lot of the times there's things in there that I'm like, it's, it goes in the back of your head and it stays there and then it comes out at the right time. And that's what you hear when you hear, again, autobiographies, people who are successful talking on podcasts. It's the same thing, just little bit constantly all the time, being consistent. Yeah, yeah, consistency. And I think, again, you mentioned luck. And again, a lot of the people I've chatted to on here, Uzo, who was the, the previous one, was talking about, oh, yeah, so many people, pretty much, I'd say 90% of them have been really lucky. And you just think, well, you're putting yourself out there. You're, well, the, the, the quote, Gary Player one, the hard yeah. work, the luckier I get. I just, I think that is brilliant, and it's, it does, it's a yeah. skill, isn't it? It's, you, you, you were saying there, or oh, should do it, and you know you will do it. You just think, oh, for f-. but you still yeah. do it because that is just you. It's what your parents have done. My parents still yeah. work, they hard work much harder than I do, and it's, it just, it is, is ingrained in you, really. And you get, the, you get, well, again, it's probably behind that. You get a buzz off it. You get like, you know, I I love conversations like this. I love I love doing the stuff I do. I like going like there's times where it's a bit stressful and I get you know not every day is brilliant. Why any stretch of stretch of imagination? I wake up most mornings to be honest. I'm an awful person in the morning. I wake up pretty much quite low every morning, pretty much. Like you know, it's one of those kind of really random things to admit sometimes. But it, like for really really in the shower, I'm just like just not interested in this day, no matter how much it is. Even going on holidays to a certain degree, I'm like, yeah, I'm just like half an hour, 45 minutes in, I'm grand every day. Bizarre. And I've said it, I say it on my course a lot. And one woman came up to me afterwards, can't remember what age she was. She was definitely over 15. She just went, I'm really glad you said that because I feel like that every morning. And then it goes away. And loads of people kind of feel like you're a bit depressed. I'm like, not definitely not depressed. Absolutely not. But it's these kind of things that you just have to, you, you, you learn about your own mind and, and you just have to kind of think, well, how am I going to, uh, wh- wh- what's going to keep me, what's going to make me buzz in a week's time and c- constantly doing that. And like for the last week now, I've really been, the wheels come off, but I, so I've looked at a lot more football and, you know, really easy, you know, comedy and stuff like that. And I just, I know when I need to look at stuff like that, then I'm like going, right, I'm, I'm definitely done now. I don't want to listen to a podcast. I don't want to listen to a book. I want to just listen to someone to make me laugh. And that's what I'm pretty good at. I, I think that's managed my stress levels with speaking to my brothers. I'm really lucky there. I've got really three good brothers and four great sisters. At any time I want, I could speak to any of them. And afterwards, I'll always either laugh or come away feeling much, much better. And it comes from a basis of trust as well, which just allows you to be able to get that out. So I've got these little strategies that help just go get, get you through consistency in the day. Uh, I think there are the other things you need. You need to build in ways of being sound to yourself or compassionate. Don't like the word compassionate. It makes me sound like a hippie. But, it, you know, it's that, it is just saying, you know what? No, no, now is the time to switch off versus do I keep the pedal pedal on the whole time? And it's getting that balance. And you you definitely will know that, you know. And sometimes you get it wrong. and it's, But when you get it right and then that feeling afterwards when you, you know, like we met, I, I had a really good time and, and hopefully things will, you know, progress with 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 different things, and and the same with um, the guys from Rehab Grew. I met them, 
same thing as well. Just nice guys sound. It's a good feeling about that when you meet people like that. And I think that's why I do the work for, because I, I love that kind of, I, I like meeting people and, and developing them relationships. Yeah, it's a good, good feeling. Yeah, no, no, I definitely, definitely agree. Yeah, you want to be involved with good people doing good stuff. You mentioned that earlier on. You want to push things forward. And I think, I think that's important. Just to pick you up, I think that Messi was named after Lionel Richie, though. So don't, you shouldn't diss him. Yeah, but I'm, I'm a Maradona fan. Maradona is the best ever. <laughs> yeah, so forget Messi then. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah. So I'm not really too bothered yeah. about him. I'm not really too bothered about him. I'm just, I've always been a Maradona fan. So I, even when he, I was, I was really happy. I like Argentina. Argentina is one of my favorite countries I've ever been to. They're, they're a mad, uh, mad culture. I love it. But um, yeah, no, I'm Maradona all day long. Yeah, I, I wanted to call my son Diego, but my missus wouldn't let me. She said it, sound, it would sound a bit daft. But he's I called like, Armando, isn't he? Yeah, that's his middle name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or Andrew, see Andrew's not too far off that you see. Convinced myself for a long time. I used to tell my mom I was either Brazilian or Argentinian when I was a kid. I was adopted. She was like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever." <laughs> so, As we tell question the, on, the, on football then. So, like, it, yeah. so growing up in Ireland in the nineties, like, what was your what were your impressions? That was a bit of a golden era for Irish football, oh, wasn't for, it? With, yeah, with all those English players. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, yeah. Um, yeah, we don't don't go down that route now. You know what I mean. We could get very political very quickly here. And um, yeah, like we had we had some of the best players in the world. You know, Roy Keane was the best. You know, one of the best midfielders by far in the world. So yeah, '88 was when I remember. I was, I was saying to my son, he's eight now, and I was like, this is this is when I remember the last. Like I didn't remember '86. I was six in '86, so eight and '88. But Ireland got the Euros, the first time they ever qualified. You beat England, beat, didn't you? Beat England in Stuttgart. Yeah, Ray Houghton. Ray Houghton. Yeah, so we like Ray Houghton, Ronnie Whelan, Frank Stapleton, Kevin Sheet, like all these players played for Liverpool, Stephen Staunton, Liverpool or like all league, first first division teams at the time. Um, and then 1990, we drew with England again, drew with one all. Year E won, you got to the semis and cried when you didn't win again. Um, and um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, that. They're all, they were brilliant. 94, we beat Italy. In the first round as well. That was in the Giant Stadium, which is like Ireland, New York, like Ireland, Italy, in New York, which is amazing as well. Yeah, that's oh yeah, football was back then. That was amazing, actually. So crap now, unfortunately. It's just you know, we hope they hope they pick it up. But like at the end of the day, we're the best team in the world at rugby. We're number one in in the world at rugby, which is ridiculous for less than four million people. Um, and we we uh, we've got a lot of competitive sports in Ireland, like Gaelic football and hurling, which is the local sport, like the national sports, like they're super popular. And, and you know, and so that takes you know at school, that's what you you play one of those sports. So like you can imagine, that takes an awful lot. So for we're a, we're a sport hungry country, like you know, it's kind of it's pretty impressive, you know, for for the size of us, you know. No, it is. Well, I think 2002, I think that was a real shame when Keane went home because I felt you genuinely had a chance to go very, very far in that tournament. Yeah, yeah, you just, you, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was, it was, I was, a, I was pro Keane though. I was probably fucking, yeah, massively pro Keane time. I, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, I'm a United fan as well. So, um, since I was, you know, in the 80s, uh, being a United fan and, and then everyone laughs like, oh, yeah, because you're, because you're Irish. But like at the end of the day, like, 
we built your roads and, and everything over in this country. So we get to pick your teams as well. You know, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's an important point, but uh, yeah, I know like, you know, United, United, I, uh, yeah, I didn't like, I, I like the standards again, that's that kind of standing up to bo bollocks. Like, you know, where the, where the, where the fans who come over and sing and have a good time. I remember him saying that Kino, he said, we're here to fucking compete, not, not just show up. I feel a bit like that about anything in life, really. I'm a bit like that. Sometimes a bit like, this is a bit mediocre. Like, what? we're here you know let's let's make a good one like you know if we're gonna have yeah. this let's, let's do it do it right or so when he said all that i was like i was gutted that we didn't he didn't even play but i was like on oh, same time i that's why he got respect and i think you know still still he love him everyone loves him on tv don't they? oh no he's great he's yeah he's class great player and he's just he's interesting and yeah no no he's a he's a really good character but i know i've kept you long enough here so thank you very much yeah. for your time and insights no, and good um, yeah, looking forward to to working with you. Well, this is going to go out in next year, so this year. Look for look look forward to working with you this year. <laughs> exactly. Yes, this year. <laughs> smooth, God, smooth. So smooth. <laughs> nice one. Cheers, bud. Top man. Cheers. Have a good one. See you.